My guest on this episode is Brian Decker. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Brian is a guy who's been one of the top loan officers in the nation for a decade. And he has recently started a company called Soar Energy. And I truly believe this company will be the number one solar installation company with white glove service nationwide. Uh, these guys are literally going to change the game when it comes to energy costs in states like California, Florida, Texas, Arizona. And, you know, Brian's just an amazing guy. This is a guy who came up with a uh, middle class life who had a lot of turns along the way and has become a very wealthy and influential man. And I'm so grateful I got a chance to call him a friend. Um, you're going to get a ton out of this, not only tactics and ideas on how to start businesses, how to think outside the box, how to overcome adversity, um, but also ways that you can start saving energy. Or if you're in the real estate or lending business, ways that you can add additional value to your clients with a, an AI tool to show them how to calculate how much it's going to cost for the utility bills that are continually going up nationwide. So please make sure you like, subscribe, ask us questions and comment on this episode, uh, whether it's on po any podcast platform or YouTube, that's going to help us get more uh, guests like Brian and help this message get out. Love this episode. I hope you do too. Brian Decker, what's up, buddy? Not much, man. Not much, dude. Just uh, enjoying life out here in uh, Scottsdale, AZ, on a Friday. It's uh, you can see behind me. It's uh, I'm glad I'm not in Michigan or, or Salt Lake right now. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to people all over the country. It's been raining everywhere. It looks pretty sunny out there. Well, dude, I've been <laughs> so excited to pin you down for a podcast for since we met, and you're probably one of the busiest guys I know right now. And and we'll get into that. But you know, we met we met on Instagram, and I don't know if you remember this, but I pursued you and I found you through some guys when I was trying to figure out this whole social media thing. I, it was a while back, and I I remember one of our first conversations. You said, listen, I don't really do this coaching LOs. I kind of do, but if you want to talk, we can talk. And we got on this call and you said, look, if you just do what I did, this will work for you. And you said, I bought a solar company. I'm helping some of the biggest influencers in the country. I'm building houses with them. Um, and I'm telling you every single thing that I'm doing right now came from exactly what I'm going to show you. And so now, and you, now you and I are connected on so many other levels yeah. and man, this is literally like it, you were speaking prophecy. I mean, it's, it's been such <laughs> an incredible experience. So, so man, I'm seriously, I'm so pumped to do this with you. We have so much to talk about, but I would love to just, for people that are going to listen and see this, if you could just give me kind of your story as a mortgage guy at a high level and then, you know, where you're at today and, and then we'll definitely be getting into, you know, the most exciting project we're both involved in right now. Yeah, absolutely, brother. No, it's, uh, it's funny. I mean, I went to, I mean, I'm 41 now. I went to, when I graduated college, I went to college, kind of the safe, safe path. Uh, I kind of grew up in a family where being an entrepreneur really wasn't an option. I mean, my parents got married really young, had me really young. They were high school sweethearts. My dad worked as a forklift driver and just kind of moved up the corporate ladder. My grandfather before him did the same thing, like start at the bottom and grind your way up to the top. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, 
thinking about taking risk was never really an opportunity for them because they had kids really early on yeah. and all of that. And so I followed down that path and, you know, went to, went to school, graduated to become a CPA, um, was fortunate enough to get offers, um, by all the top five accounting firms at the time, um, ended up taking a job at one. I was just going to go the safe route. And, um, after starting at one for a couple of weeks, I talked to one of the managing partners there and he was like, and he'd been there for 20 years. And he was like, I was like, Hey man, what is it going to take me to make million dollars a year? Like, I just want to know. Cause that's what my goal was back in like 2004, which was, you know, two or 3 million bucks. Now I said, what is that going to look like? And he was like, Oh, well, you're going to be at least 30 years. You're probably going to get divorced twice. And you know, he's like, I, I, you know, I'm one of the top guys here and I'm making like 250 a year and I'm 20 years in this, this, and this. And like, I remember going home and was like, nope, this is not for me anymore. So I called my dad up and I was like, dad, I know I was going to be a CPA. I know I, I did all this stuff. I took a, you know, a couple parts of the four part CPA exam, but I, I don't want to do, I don't want to do this. It's just the, the ceiling on it is too low and it's going to take too long to get there. And it doesn't allow me to have any flexibility. The corporate letter's not live for me. And I was like, well, well, Obviously, obviously I'm thrilled thrilled with me. I mean, yeah. Uh, at the point, and I was like, he's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I'm going to be a loan officer. It's my two college roommates at the time. Uh, guy named Ben and Will. No disrespect for them at all, but I mean, I was, I was tutoring them in basic math. And these guys, Ben came home after working for like eight weeks and drove up in a brand new, paid cash for it. Like those, remember when those Escalade trucks first came out, oh, yeah. right? You know, and he had gotten a, an Escalade EXT truck. He had put Lamborghini doors on it, like 26 inch wheels. And I was like, and we were roommates at the time, like paying like 400 bucks a month each for our for room. I was like, bro, dude, what'd you make last month? And he's like, oh, dude, I had a pretty good month. I made like 65 grand. I was like, mm-hmm. you, made, you were 22 at the time. And I was like, I just signed a contract working with the biggest CPA firm for 42 grand. And I thought that was for the year. Mm-hmm. And you made that as a month. So I was like, I left, got into mortgages, like, and it was the old school way, calling title leads, calling told leads, mm-hmm. just the whole thing, cutting your teeth. You know, I literally read the book, Mortgage for Dummies. Dropping uh, dropping trans boxes off in those little those little metal. You remember yeah. the, trans, the trans box? Yep. <laughs> yep. And then faxing in our 1003s and, you know, all of that type of stuff. And uh, so I did that, you know, for a couple of years. And then right when we started, when I started really taking off, um, 2008 happened. And I remember I had like a loan pipeline for the first time ever. It was like 60 loans. It set to like, like $20 million that month. And all of our banks started sending us emails. Andy Mac just went under. This one went under. This one went under. So like the first month I was going to really make some good money, like it just, you know, fell down. And so all my buddies, it was, I was living in Orange County at the time, which was like mortgage capital of the world. Um, and basically they all got out of the industry. And I said, well, if they're all getting out, got to come back. I'm just going to stay in. So ended up staying in it and grinded my way through it. Um, and then in 2010, I figured out a really good direct mail strategy, maxed out my credit cards, was lit, had to move it back in with my brother who was in college at the time. Um, and literally had went from, you know, making um, eight grand a month to December of 2000 and what December of 2009, Got a check for that month because I just started my own little broker shop. I'll never forget. It's 167000 bucks for a month. And was like, so I never went from like scaling the way up. It went from like doing okay, getting by to like, holy crap, that's more money than I ever thought I'd ever see in a year. And then just that year in 2010 was named, you know, 
loan off, like forget what the name, whatever Scotsman guy back in jail. I said they'd pick like the rookie of the year or whatever it would be. So I won it that year. Um, and then just ended up continuing to grind and then, um, got recruited by guaranteed rate, went over there, spent a number of years over at guaranteed rate with all my boys over there, Sean and Ben, they taught me a lot. I shared with them, um, ended up becoming kind of a perennial. I was top 10 Scotsman guide for year after year, got recruited over by Anthony shade to kind of get groomed over at Lone Depot to eventually potentially, you know, be C-suite over there. Um, and then once again, look back, you know, it's what 2018 and look back and was like, spent 13 years on retail building other people's businesses. I don't have anything to show for it. Like, yeah, I got big W2s and I got some money saved up, but I have nothing to show for it. Like nothing. Like I like zero, I have no equity. I've made these guys tens of millions of dollars and I have nothing to show for it. And, um, so started my own company. I looked around to see there was a company and just a lot of the companies at the time, they were just building at a hundred basis points on a rate sheet. I just said, you know, that's, I don't feel like that's fair. I already ran my own business. We were doing a billion a year out of my branch. And I was like, all right. So we, me and Taylor started modern lending in the beginning of 19 and, um, launched that. And, uh, it's kind of the Matt Ishby is actually the one that called me, um, and, uh, recruited me to come over and was like, Hey, it's right when UWM was really starting to take off. And was like, Hey, you're a big retail guy. I think you're fit over here. And so made the transition and it was a successful one. We love it. And did that over there, you know, for what uh, still own it today, but in, uh, pretty much I started really getting that entrepreneurial bug. Um, really started, honestly, social media was a big part of it. Um, kind of getting that exposure to kind of some big entrepreneurs and, you know, from there kind of have, uh, still run it, but I don't run the day to day. I, you know, just kind of do the vision of it and, um, moved over into some other entrepreneurial ventures since then. Yes. Well, that was great. So, and, and then you ended up, so you and whenever you and I started talking, I don't know how long ago that was now. Uh, but you were right in the middle of kind of transitioning out of the day-to-day in mortgage. And you had told me about the solar company. And I think it was around that time you were moving to Scottsdale. And I was just now, because I've been in the core coaching and kind of we shared our stories. And I was like, man, I, I really need to learn this social media game. And part of why I'm doing this right now is because of conversations you and I had. Obviously, I wanted to learn how to use AI and technology to really try to protect my time so that I could still generate loans. Cause I'm still in the, the mortgage business at a high level. Um, but we connected on a lot of other things too, man. I mean, you guys moved to Scottsdale and, you know, I think you got involved in a church out there. I remember you sh- seeing pictures of you getting baptized. Tell me something about that. Yeah. So one of the, I think the difficult things that I grew up in a Christian home and um, was really didn't drink in high school, was super innocent, like was very good. And then till about, I don't know, last two years of college, really, I went to a Bible university and, um, and then just, I kind of really, you know, was really good with self-control. And then finally just kind of the party scene got me a little bit. And then I, in my mind, I always thought like, you know, I guess God would strike me down with lightning if I, you know, was being promiscuous or drinking or, or any of these other things. And then, so when I tried it and that didn't happen, I guess in my mind, I was like, Oh, okay. And then just like, like slowly, like just a little drug, like, you know, like just little bits at a time, it just kind of turned up where, and I was always good. I was never like, 
I mean, I never drank during the week. I was always very good, but I just became very arrogant in all honesty. And I don't want this to come up the wrong way, but things just kind of came easy to me. Like, you know, they just, they just did. I was just very ambitious. Like nobody had to ever tell me to get up in the morning. Nobody had to tell me not to, I had good self-control and ambition. And so things just kind of came easy to me. And so I became really arrogant um, with that. And so I really kind of walked away from God for a, many, many years from pretty much, I don't know, but maybe about 23. And then um, things just, things were going good. I was making a lot of money doing this. And then really, I'd always told myself at 40, I would get out of the day-to-day of mortgage. Um, I never really loved mortgage. It just came easy and was a great way to make money. Um, but it just kind of got to a point where I wasn't stimulated. I wasn't like, I just felt like I had, I wanted more out of my day. I've had ADD since I was a kid and I have to be extremely stimulated with difficult work to basically stay interested in it. And so for me, just doing the same thing over and over and over again and doing the retail world and the wholesale world and building a company and doing all these things. I kind of got to the point where I was just, oh, this is easy. This is easy. Whatever I touch turns to gold. I don't really need God kind of a mentality. And then really what happened is mortgage industry just got turned upside down in 20, whatever, the end of 2022. And for the first time in my life, nothing I really did could change the fact that the government was wrecking interest rates right? Like, you know, and so I kind of looked at the point was like, shoot. And at the time, like I was big time in crypto investor. And so I had, you know, invested, you know, about a million bucks and turned it into like 7 million bucks in a really short period of time and was arrogant and thought it was just going to keep going up. And then that at the same time, rates were going up that went down from 7 million to 2 million bucks and then having to pour money into our company. And so it just it was everything at once. My wife and I started fighting a lot. My kids were at the point where they were, you know, needing me for all these things. I was working all these hours and it just finally came to the point where I was just kind of like, man, I can't do this thing on my own. I'm not happy. Like I look back and I've had all these Lambos. I've had all these Ferraris. I have a beautiful wife. I have a bigger home than I ever but built my dream home that I never thought I would ever have a chance of living in. And none of it lasted for any amount of joy. It was just, oh, that's it. It's like, and I like to use the analogy. I'm, and you know, when we, when we were kids, we couldn't imagine the day when we turned to be an adult where we could go and buy candy or ice cream whenever we wanted. Like me as a kid, my parents were very like strict about what we ate and we just didn't have a lot of money. And I remember thinking to myself when I'm like, hey, oh, as soon as I'm an adult, I'm going to go to the candy store every freaking day and buy whatever I want, you know? And then you get to the point of 18 and you don't care less to go to the candy store. You're like, or when you want to be 21, you want to be able to go gamble or, or buy alcohol. You're like, Oh my God, that's all I'm going to do. And then it's cool for like a month. And then you're just like, Oh, what do you do? And you forget about it or driving or any of these things. Well, that's what kind of all the things that I wanted as a kid that I never thought I had just really left me empty. Um, And it kind of made me, I'm a really happy person. I've never been a depressed person. Um, I just, you know, I just never struggled with it. And I just kind of, you know, mentally don't let myself get to that place. But I just got to the point where I'm like, what's going to bring me joy? Like I built this custom Ferrari and I don't even drive it. Like built this house. Really don't even care. I don't even go into 90% of the rooms. Like, and so we ended up starting to go to church back in California at the time. And we found this church called Orchard. And it was the first time 
that, and you know, you know, you go to church and a lot of pastors, we went to them, maybe those churches and everything they talk about is just like generic based on human emotion. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, it's a keynote. It's a keynote. And they, they use like two words from a scripture and then they build this whole, make you feel good. And you know, there comes a point where you're just like, I need you to actually say something to challenge me. Yeah. I I totally know what you mean. Yeah. You know? And so we went there and like the pastor ended up was like that. He was just like calling stuff out. And I was just like, Oh shit, this dude's, he's like me. ain't afraid. Cause I, I mean, my mouth can get me in trouble. Cause I don't, you know, I just tell it how it is. And I was like, dude, this guy just tells it how it is. So my wife and I and our kids started kind of going to that. And I noticed like my marriage was getting better. I was like finding, I was actually like finding the time to do something. And then, um, when, you know, Tark and I really had to double down and make the decision of, okay, I can't have one foot in each one of these companies or two companies are going to fail. I've either got to let my partners at my mortgage company who they've been with me forever, take the lead, give them the responsibility. I know they can do it and get out of their way and then go full into our energy efficiency company. Um, I knew that I couldn't do that and stay in the same town I live. I was born there. I was raised there. I, I left there for 15 years, brought my family back there. It was a small town. Everybody knew us and they all knew me as the mortgage guy. So anything else I ever did in that town, rather than saying, oh, he's just an entrepreneur, they would say, oh, his mortgage company must be failing. That's why he's starting a new business. Like that's just people's mindset, right? And so I just knew I had to get out of that town and I still, I love all those people, but I just had to get out of the town and go start over um, in an area where my identity wasn't tied to my past that I had to re-earn credibility in an industry rather than just being like, oh, that's the mortgage guy. I wonder what he's doing. And so when we came out here, Shelby recommended this church um, called Trinity Church. And if anybody, I don't care if you're not a believer or whatever, Mark Driscoll, check it out. He is, he literally, every sermon gets millions of views and it, he's not the guy that like built a super church. He actually left a super church um, and basically started this. And he's just, his background was investigative journalism. He didn't grow up as a Christian. So everything he does, he looks at it from an investigative standpoint and puts real world issues on it. Um, And so we just fell in love with it and just really connected with it. And that's why I think it's really important to find a, find your tribe with a church. And so I had gotten baptized as a baby. Um, I grew up Catholic as a kid. And so my wife and I and our kids ended up getting baptized. Um, and I really just made the point to, yeah, I mean, trust me, I am, I am far from where, you know, I'll, I want to be, but just made the point of starting my day with reading the Bible and, and, and really recommitting it. And shoot, last year I made the least amount of money I've probably made in a decade because I've been betting everything and not, and just, and I have never been more at peace and having more joy since I've kind of reconnected with that. Well, thanks for sharing that, man. I, I didn't know if I was going to catch you off guard telling you that I was going to warn you, but I knew you would be, I know, you know, that that's such a big need for people to hear that right now, because I, you know, I talk to people all the time and they're like, man, do you ever get burned out? And it's like, and I, I was thinking about that today and I was like, man, I have not gotten burned out and I'm working harder than I've worked in a long time. And I, I was thinking about, it, it's like, it's because I have a purpose it's because I have a vision and 
is because my my reason to be alive is so much bigger than making money or having stuff. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I like those things too. And that's not what I'm saying at all. But I, I think what your story tells people is like, you know, you get to the top of a mountain, you better be ready to keep climbing because at the end of the day, like that's what actually does it for you. And you also talked about a community and, you know, I, what I heard you say was realigning yourself with a bigger purpose in your life. And, and I'm on the other side of it because I've been able to see what you're doing with SOAR and really seeing that take fruit. And it's been it's so exciting to see. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, and I think what a lot of people that are successful or wealth comes to them, they really have that feeling of, I don't need God. What do I need God for? Like, I don't need God. Like I pay my mortgage. I got money in the bank. Like, and you know, and then what you have to realize on that and you actually look at it and be like, okay, but am I really happy? Like, am I, do I have a sense of joy when I wake up in the day or, and look back and be like, okay, I have all this stuff. Am I as happy as I thought I was 15 years ago when my goal was to get this stuff? And I just thought it would be just amazing. Like I remember to me as a kid, like we had a, an old Astro minivan, you know, we did not. And I mean, only nice cars I ever saw was at the LA car show that my dad would take me at, you know, every year. And then here I was at, you know, in my early thirties, having a garage full of supercars and I would just drive my my Tesla or my truck did some days. Cause I was like, I don't really want to get down and get low and get my Ferrari and, you know, have whatever it is. And it's not as comfortable and this and that and I'd be like six year old Brian would have literally called you a lunatic. If you know, knowing that you had all those cars in your garage and yet you drove the other ones. And it's because six year old Brian thought that true joy and happiness, the feeling he felt on Christmas day was going to be associated with, how he felt when he had his Lambo or his Ferrari. And yeah, it's super exciting when you get it for like maybe your first six months. But then after that, you're just like, man, oil changes are expensive. You know, gas is really expensive. I can't believe I'm spending $13,000 a year in insurance for two cars. Like it's that I drive once a week, like the reality of those things kick in. And so I think a lot of times for successful people, they have a very hard time surrendering their themselves to a higher power because they've always been able to depend on themselves to get whatever they need. So they just, they don't really feel the need for God in their life. And I think a lot of times that isn't really addressed in church because it's not a big percentage of the church audience, but I think it's a serious plague that is really hurting a lot of successful men and women from actually becoming Christians. Yeah. And I think there's that definitely the, the piece of being accountable to God. That's a problem, not just for Christians, but the whole world. Like every, we have a world right now that really just wants to like recreate our whole world. And, and, and but the other piece I think that's hard is being in relationship with other people in a, in a vulnerable, transparent way because we think we're alone and that our dark stuff, we're the only ones that deal with it. And if they really knew the real me, they wouldn't love me or like me. And so I think it keeps them from this connection, like you're saying, but I also think it keeps them from this connection. One of the greatest things that ever happened to me is to realize the more that you're vulnerable and real, the more you actually get opportunities in business because it's so rare and we all deal with the same stuff. Yeah. And it's funny. I'll never forget. I think it was like the second sermon 
we ever went to it at Trinity. Mind you, I grew up in a Catholic church, and then we went to like a Lutheran church when I was a kid. So it's like reading hymns and oh, yeah. you know talking about it. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Like he opens to the pastor, Mark opens it up, and he's like, so there's two types of men that don't struggle with pornography, liars and dead men. And that's like how he opened up the sermon. And I was like... Oh, I could, I, I like this guy. And I'm looking around and was like, oh, this is amazing. Like, so it's like, whereas I feel like a lot of times when you go to church, everyone puts on their church clothes and they put in their like church persona. But I think there are really good churches out there that you can actually go and you don't feel guilty going to church. You have to understand that, like, no offense, but the dude next to you who looks like he's, who's the deacon. Who knows? Maybe he struggles with pain pills, right? You know, you don't know somebody's inner kind of struggles. And so I think a lot of times with people, they feel a sense of guilt because they know what they do and they know what they think and they don't want to let other people in. And when you get into an environment that's not judging and you realize that, you know, God ate dinner with the prostitutes, Jesus ate dinner with prostitutes, not the elite priests and, you know, Pharisees, right? Like, that's who he ended up, who needed him. And he knew that that's what it was. And so I think it's important. And I'm not saying out there, go out and, you know, go to dinner with prostitutes, but I'm saying like people, God will accept you who, who you are, you know, and the way you come and you don't have to be perfect and you can continue to sing. Cause that's human nature. Like we were created with the ability and the desire to go after pleasure and run away from pain and to be successful in anything you need to do. You have to say no to pleasure and yes to pain more often than not, whether that's business, whether that's, you know, a marriage, whether that's raising kids or whether it's being trying to be a good person, because it's much more difficult to choose pain. But those are the paths that's less traveled. And that's where you're going to actually see the big, bigger rewards. Yeah. When I got sober, I got sober in 2000 and 2003. I remember my sponsor in AA, he would tell me. Happiness is a byproduct of right living. He said, you know, you pursued happiness through trying to medicate your pain. And you probably thought that cash, cars, and chicks was the end of, you know, the purpose of life. And if you just achieve that, that you'll be ultimate happiness. And he's like, what you'll find is the opposite is true. Like happiness comes from trying to serve your community, loving your neighbor, uh, being not, trying not to be selfish every day, you know, connecting with God um, and, and, you know, being humble and doing the right thing when nobody else is looking. He's like, the more that you do that, the happier you'll be. And, and so, so, you know, we're talking a lot about faith here, man. I, I want to make a transition to the faith journey that you're making right now with uh, the energy company, because, you know, around the time you and I were talking, you kind of shared it with me and I'm a knucklehead loan officer, like half of them. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds cool, Brian. You know, this harmonious verticals of income. You're the first person that told me that term. And I actually say it about every day now, just so you know, <laughs> but I was like, okay. And I was starting. Uh, to hopefully it makes sense. I know I made it up. Oh so. my God, dude, it <laughs> like makes, it makes perfect sense because if someone wants to get into a place where they can make additional money, um, let's say you're a realtor or a loan officer, like buying a plumbing company is probably not a great idea because you're going to sacrifice, uh, your energy and time in one business to go after another. But if you can find something that's already, it's with the clients you're already working with, and it's a way to serve them and solve problems for them. 
with something you're already doing, those are definitely the things we should look for. And I remember at the beginning of 2023, when rates started going up, everyone was talking about rates going down. And I was just like, and I'm not the smartest guy. I barely graduated high school, but I was smart enough to know these rates aren't going down for a while. If you are putting all your hope in that, like there's major problems with that. Even if they do, prices are going to go up, like play that tape out. And so I was like, I think we got to ask the question, how do we figure out how to solve the problems that families have right now? And the first thing I was looking at was ADUs because California was really trying to figure out how to make the ADU play. And they still are. But I, I realized I was too early to that party because of construction costs and legislation. And around the time I met you and you started telling me about SOAR and I started and I, ha I live in a PG&E area. And so I'm well aware of my power getting shut off for five days because PG&E has old equipment and they're worried about a, a lawsuit. So they just shut our power off. And I spent a bunch of money on panels and a generator, but you took it so far with me. Like you started educating me on, I, I tell everyone all the time, I know more about green energy than I ever wanted to know now. And so, yeah, le le and, <laughs> you know, but I actually like it. It's so exciting. So dude, talk about this whole journey that we're on together. Cause I think it's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because people always try to pre-plan their life, right? Like, and we, we always planned it. I thought my goal was I'm going to build a big mortgage company. I'm going to sell it for a bunch of money someday. And then from there, I'm going to take that money and I'm going to be, you know, a family office that just buys a bunch of this real estate stuff. And I'm going to spend a bunch of time with my kids and, you know, I'm going to be just set. And you, you kind of pre-plan your life that way. But what you don't really account for is the change in industries, right? So industries come and go in cycles. And those cycles come with what we now know is what's called the information age, right? So, you know, back in the day, it was very easy. Like you knew that back in the day, you're like, okay, cool. You know what? Horses are, are the way we get around. We build homes. We were expanding. So I should probably get into construction, right? Or, or manufacturing goods here in the United States because there's no way to import things way back in the 18 or 1900s, right? And then cars came in. And when cars came in, it completely changed everything, right? America became, you know, this world power because with Ford and we, we were now able to, then you got into logistics because then you could transport things a different way and do all these different types of things. And then when technology and the internet came out, it brought about this whole new age of now we're being able to buy things digitally, interact with people, you know, on the internet. And we're able to actually not have to have these retail storefronts to be able to do these things because guess what? They can just be at distribution centers and you just have these digital stores. And so what I think a lot of times people make the mistake of when they look at a business, they close their vision to everything else out there. And they're just like, I'm going to do loans or I'm going to do real estate. It's always going to be around. But what they, they don't pay attention to is that the world around them is changing and disruption is occurring in your industry. When we look at that in mortgage and real estate, back when I got in the industry, you know, your only competition was banks. There was no online lenders. There was no Zillow out there. That was, you know, every deal that they would send in, you got to get pre-qualified with ZHL. Now there was, there was none of that out there. So your industry was insulated. But nowadays, the, what you have to understand is, is if your industry is not an actual physical skill of doing plumbing or actually going in there and physically building a house, you know, you're going to get dramatically compressed with margin. And so what you have to do is emulate the companies 
that have been able to evolve. So I obsessed over Amazon, which started out as a book company. And I looked at them and I was like, okay, they were a book company online. Then they went in to start selling online goods. Now they went into video. Then they went into grocery. Now they're cloud services. Like what? And I realized what they did is they took a client that they could get attention. They figured out a way to get attention and they got that client. And the most expensive thing any business could ever do is to acquire that client. And what you can do is once you've acquired that client, you got to look at it and say, okay, this client has needs. This client has the desire for these items. Let me look at within my ecosystem where I can provide something of greater value to the customer, give them an incentive where they're either getting paying the same price for it or a lower price for it, that I can leverage my trust and I can leverage my knowledge in my current industry to pull in another industry that is very easy to learn about. And it went to your saying, like as a real estate company, you don't want to go out there and all of a sudden start a construction company. You're dealing with a service and now you're going to go into a product and now you're going to do that. And so I, I really looked at that because I felt my margins compressing in real estate and I felt that my homeowners were actually other entities were having my same client and they figured out a way to get them five or six services and sales and interact with them. And all I had to hope for was that rates would go down so I could refinance them every two years. That was like my, I was a one trick pony. And the problem with is, is as a mortgage company, one, I, I don't control the interest rates and everybody else has the same product as me. So how do I differentiate myself if I don't control the price of my good? I don't control the cost of my good and I can't sell a different good. Like that sounds like the worst business model ever if you're going to do it. But what it does do is in mortgage and real estate, it inserts you into a relationship with a homeowner, which is making their most expensive purchase ever. So they trust you more than they trust their car salesman, than they trust everybody out there, right? The only person they may trust more than you is their financial advisor. Outside of that, they're trusting you as a real estate or a loan officer. So you now have their trust and you have the trust on an asset that is the most expensive thing they're really ever going to buy. So what I looked at was, okay, what other things could I offer as a service to my client that would be harmonious with what I'm already doing? And then I took it one step further and I said, well, last thing I want to do is go build a real estate company because that's already being disrupted. And real estate, it ain't going up. I mean, we sold what? 4 million homes last year versus 6 million we sold two years before. So I'm like, that industry is kind of going down. There's more people that are getting into it because it's way easier to do. Then you're competing with Zillow. You're competing all those things. So I was like, mm, I don't want to do that. So and that I was before this, all this legislation stuff even happened. Oh yeah. So they're just now yeah, getting their, their, they're just now getting their version of Dodd-Frank. Like that hasn't even played out yet. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's going to completely disrupt them and they're going to be dealing with margin pressure like us. I mean, when we got into loans, we were making 3% and now we're lucky to make 1% or one and a quarter percent, right? But yeah, we have to provide pay way more technology, way more services. We have to have all these more bells and whistles and we work off a smaller margin. So the only way that we can really survive and thrive is to be able to add ancillary services that work harmoniously within the relationships that we've already been able to form with that homeowner. And so I started looking it up and I looked at the top three industries that are going to grow over the next 20 years. Number one was AI. I'm like, I ain't an AI developer. I was like, number two is green energy. And number three is robotics. I was like, well, I'm not an engineer. I can't build robots. Green energy. 
I hate solar is what I thought to myself. I hate it. Why I hated it is because everybody that freaking bought a home that had solar on the freaking home, everybody pointed fingers at who was responsible for transferring the stupid thing. So we had to do more work, never made any money on it. And it had a really bad reputation because the delivery mechanism of it was the worst de- delivery mechanism possible, which is an unlicensed 19-year-old kid knocking on the door, selling a homeowner something they knew absolutely nothing about, and then attaching it to their most expensive asset they've ever owned, which sounds like the worst combination possible. So I really ended up doing research and I figured out, huh, there's actually some real value here because the our grid system, how we get electricity, which is, I mean, we can live with not water. We can go to the store and buy some gallons of water. You can't go to the store and buy power. Just can't do it, right? You just can't do it. Like, so if I'm going to be without something, I could be without water in my home so I can go to the store and buy it, but I can't be without power in a little generator. That ain't going to work out so well to power my whole house, right? So I'm like, okay, this is a necessity. Then I started looking at it, and like you said, with PG&E. So PG&E, which is up in Northern California, for those of you guys that don't know where PG&E is, most of us thought power companies. Huh, they got to be like nonprofits, right? They're public utilities. And I looked into it, and I was like, nope. These are privately owned companies that make a crap ton of money in profit. And the contract they have with you as a homeowner is a complete monopolization. It's the last living monopoly here in the United States. Anything else we do, we have options. Not your power. You move into PG&E territory, guess what? You're getting PG&E. That's it. You can't get anything else, right? And then the other part about it I realized was, imagine if you went and rented a house and you had to sign a contract that says, this is month-to-month rent, There's no regulation on how much I can increase your rent by. And hopefully your house will still be here, but you know, maybe it won't. I don't know. And that's what utility companies do. There's, they can raise it rates whenever they want. They can add whatever they want to their bill. And when your power goes out, uh, we're sorry. My bad. Whoop de doo. And that's the way it was operated. And so I looked at that the grid system in America being that it was built, we have a major problem. When they designed it 80 years ago or 100 years ago in some areas, they didn't plan there to be 400 million Americans living here. They didn't plan on us having open borders and nothing and massive amounts of immigrants coming into this thing. So they didn't build it like they weren't like, hey, let's let's invest 10 times the money we're going to invest because in 100 years from now, we could have 400 million people living. here. No, they didn't do that. So we have a grid system and it's failing. We have more people than ever that are moving on to it. And what utility companies basically are doing is they're just charging you based on supply and demand and they don't have enough power. So you get blackouts all the time and then the grid system's failing. And then when they have to go and they have to fix it, guess what? They don't pay for it. They just pass it on. They get a blank check to whenever they can do it. So your PG&E bill, you were paying about seven cents for your power 10 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago. So think of a unit unit of energy at seven cents. You now during the summer pay 67 cents for every unit of energy. It went up 10 times and it just went up 38% this year. And it's so bad that the state of California passed a law that you can't even build a new home unless you put solar panels on it because the grid system can't support it. So I was like, whoa, okay, I think I just found something. But then I was like, hmm, okay, 
but I don't want everybody to go out and buy solar. There's got to be a better way. Like, because if, if everybody just has to go out and take a $70,000 loan to buy panels, people don't want to go into debt right now. We're kind of going into a recession. And then I learned, huh, it's not the reality that you actually have a utility alternative. I mean, there's, you know, they just, in California alone, $350 million they set aside to put batteries and solar panels on homes that people don't pay for. They install them all. They warranty it all. They maintain it all. And you just buy power for a cheaper rate and you generate your, your own power. So I was like, what? They're like, yeah, it's like a solar utility. I'm like, huh, that's pretty cool. So I mean, as a homeowner, I don't have to go out and buy solar panels. And if I don't want to, I can just literally switch to a solar utility. Yeah, you can. What happens when I sell? That's a guaranteed transfer to a new buyer. You don't worry about PG&E. Like nobody as a seller is like, oh, hope this buyer can take over my PG&E bill. No, they don't. And now these energy bills have skyrocketed. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, you see Chris in PG&E and territory. I mean, an average, average size three or four bedroom house. What do you see right now as the PG&E bill on that per month? Depending on family size and depending on season, I would say an average of 400 to a thousand a month. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to give, and like give people context, that bill for that power in something like Detroit for an example, which doesn't have the explosive growth and, you know, it's, you know, it's not set up is anywhere between 70 and $140 a month for the same usage of power. Right. And so how this ended up coming about was I said, well, huh, let me read some more. And I was like, wait, oh shoot. The fed has to get about 30% of all homes put on alternative energy because they don't have the power on it. Why is it then that me as a loan officer, I deal with this client. I sell them this house. I don't even address their second most expensive bill they have. I don't even have to factor it into their debt ratio. And then what happens after I close, some 19-year-old kid goes and knocks on their door and sells them some solar system that they don't even know about. They don't even have to be licensed to be able to do. The homeowner knows no better. They sign some documents and this kid just puts them in to some crazy lease that's not beneficial for them, takes them to the cleaner. And then when they come back to me to refinance, it messes everything up for me. So I was like, it kills, kills the deal. And so I said, you know what? There's got to be a way. Who should be the one that is delivering the energy to these clients and actually telling them they have an option? Because you think the PG&E once ads ran that there is an actual utility company that they can actually switch to, of course they don't. They don't want to do that. And these utility companies have billions and billions of dollars. They lose customers. And so I basically said, well, if realtors and loan officers should be the one that delivers this, since they're the ones that have a trusted source on it, and it will actually won't lie to the client, they'll make sure that they get into a, a, a good type of product that's best for them. I should probably build this out. And so Tarek El Musa has been one of my close friends for a long time. He's, you know, host of Flip a Flip or Flop and all this, you know, probably the most recognizable face on TV for real estate. I talked to him about it and he was like, dude, this is a really good idea. And I was like, okay. I was like, what I want to do is to create a vertical, the ability for real estate agents and loan officers to when they're dealing with their either clients buying a home or when they're dealing with their past clients, let's create something could give them the ability. We think about it. We get a roof inspection. We get a pool inspection. We get a pest inspection. But a homeowner in PG&E, they have no clue what their electric bill is going to be 
until they move into that house and they get shocked with a $900 a month bill. And they're like, whoa, we, we go over with them a $30 a month change in their insurance on their homeowner's insurance. And they shop that with 20 different providers to save $30 a month. But we just choose to not even address the fact that here's what your energy bill is going to be. So what we did was my brother was an AI and machine learning developer. Um, so he's a big time. He worked on chat GBT. So I said, Hey, let's change the game. Let's invent a way that we can actually create a report for a homeowner by simply taking an address. And what it does is it uses satellite imagery in real time, scans that house, pulls in the utility information that we would create. And then basically working with the department of energy tells them what energy efficient upgrades are recommended for that home and what their options are for their power and give them that to be delivered by the loan officer or real estate agent as something of value. And then from there, the homeowner now is the loan officer or realtor. You're standing out from the crowd. You're actually showing the client that what they, their real options, what they are, you know, just like anything else, we do it with their insurance. We tell them every other option. Here's your pest control company. Here's this, here's this. But we just never talked about electricity. And then I said, why don't I do this? We'll standardize the pricing. And then these people, when they do this, they don't have to sell it. They don't have to do anything. They'll treat it just like an insurance agent. When we send out they, the client, the real estate agent or loan officer sends the client the report. Client then, it's like, dude, this is awesome. They connect it with their dedicated energy advisor who are all licensed. We put them on the phone. The energy advisor walks them through it, tells them all their different options, and then basically gets them signed up. And then I said, you know what? Let's pay the loan officer and realtor some good money on this. So they have the ability of, of making two, three, four thousand dollars for doing nothing but helping their clients do value and set it up. And then we gamified it and it turned into something really big. And it, it and it's the best part is you got four percent of homes in America that are on alternative energy, and it's got to be 30% of all homes that need to go that way. So all these realtors and all these loan officers are sitting on a database of a gold mine that they've been mining gold, refinances and listings on it. And they didn't realize they're sitting on a silver gold mine as well with providing their clients value. And your clients are going alternative energy or not. Why Stop letting a 19-year-old kid take your commission out of your hand and let a professional do it in a different light. And so we built it, um, you know, and you kind of know some of it, you know, from, from there. Yeah. Man, that's such a cool story. I'm really excited to be a part of this. So for people that are listening, um, you can check out more by going to what is it? Soarenergy.com. Yeah, they could go to, yeah, they could go to soarenergy.com, but what they could, they could really, um, go ahead and do is they can, it's join.soarenergy.com. Yep. So you can go directly on that or you can, you know, go ahead and you can always just send me an email, brian at soarenergy.com, S-O-A-R energy.com. Um, and we can kind of tell you more details. There's about 10 states in the U.S. that are just, it's just an absolute no brainer. And we've even gone one step further and I spent a year working with FHA um, and got a new loan program passed. So um, for all of you guys in loans and real estate, there's now a product out there. No, it's not the energy efficient mortgage, um, which stinks by the way, because you can roll in solar panels, but whatever you roll in, you got to get an appraisal. Yeah, we tried that. We tried that. The FHA one's going to be a game changer. Yeah. So this FHA one allows a homeowner to modernize their home, not just do solar, but gets to roll in up to 20% of the purchase price of the property and get a new roof, solar panels, batteries, smart home, all of that gets it all rolled into the loan. 
Um, and then on top of that, whatever they roll into the loan, they get a 30% federal tax credit off their year one bill. So like in Chris's case, you know, you can put solar panels and a new roof on somebody's home. They roll in 40 grand, you know, changes their payment by 200 bucks a month. They eliminate a $500 electric bill and a, they get, you know, $13,000 of a federal tax credit. So they get to put a portion of their down payment right back in their hands. And so um, that has been the bane of my existence, but I'm a psychopath that never gives up and we got it approved. And uh, it, we got a pilot program, which Chris is on. And, you know, even FHA says they think it's going to be one of their biggest programs they've ever launched because it gives a homeowner a way to modernize their modernize their home, save money and not come out of pocket and put more money in their pocket. Yeah, we're running short on time, but I want to just uh, point out a couple things. So I'll put some links in the description, guys, for any loan officer, realtor that wants to get involved. Um, you can also DM me or email Brian. Um, and then for people that are looking at buying in PG&E areas or if you have a home in a PG&E area, you know, those home energy assessment reports are exactly that. Uh, it's just a comprehensive AI report that's going to show you a ton of energy efficiency upgrades that you can you can do with your own money just by going down to Lowe's. It'll show you what will do the bill, but it'll also show you um, some of the options with batteries, solar, a roof. And um, we're so excited to be a part of this. And Brian, I just got to say thank you so much for, um, you know, responding to my DM and my text. And and uh, this has been an exciting journey. And then, you know, it's just been a God story with our paths crossing with Reading. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of this group, bro. No, absolutely. And and you're one of the, you're one of those people too, that I think a lot of times people will, I've always said, you know, in, in the, the book I just most recently read by Tim Grover winning and it's, he really, you know, he was the, you know, the, the strength conditioning and mental coach for Michael Jordan and then Kobe Bryant and then Dwayne Wade and, you know, uh, Steve Jobs. I mean, just every the guy has a resume, like nobody's belief and, you know, and reading that book and identified you know, the four characteristics, you know, that everybody that's the, has the ability to be elite. And I think a lot of people don't realize that you can have natural gifts. And if you possess these natural gifts and you are not elite in your industry, you are wasting your natural talent and you have those four gifts. I mean, you're, you're extreme, you're talented in the world of finance. You're intelligent in the world of finance. You know, you're competitive where you're always trying to do the best thing for your clients. You, you want to always give them the most amount of value. And then number four, most importantly, most rare, you're resilient. You know, you, you know, if you get your kick, you're, you're going down a hard path or you, you're not afraid to change because what was working doesn't work. And so, you know, it's been a pleasure to getting to, to know you. And like I said, I'm, I'm super fired up to have you working with this. And like I said, I just appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you, bro. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please make sure to leave comments, download, ask any questions. And Brian, thanks again. Of course, brother.